There are a lot of things that this world says truly matters. Security, comfort, a good-sized paycheck, true love, being the best, looking the best, achieving the most, being known. But does spiritual awakening really matter? In the scheme of eternity, does FM 72 really count for something? Does the spark of spiritual awakening this week that could turn into a fire that lasts for years, does it truly matter? In 1946, revival was still going on at Baylor that started in 1945. A senior at Baylor in 1946 went home that summer to preach and share the gospel of Christ. He was about to graduate, went back to Sabine Parish in Louisiana, and took opportunity that summer to share the gracious good news that God had sent his son. And a 13-year-old boy heard that message from a Baylor senior who had caught fire at a revival in 1945 and 1946 on this campus. And a 13-year-old boy by the name of Arnold put his trust in Jesus, received new life in Christ. Five years later, when Arnold was 18 years old and deciding where he wanted to go to college, he decided to come to Baylor also. Came to Baylor and grew in his faith, grew deeper into knowing Christ, married his Baylor girlfriend named Alice, and they decided to stay in Waco for several years. Moved into a neighborhood in South Waco right over my right shoulder. In that neighborhood was a broken family, an alcoholic and abusive dad. Cries came out from that house periodically when the dad would come home drunk. He was kind when he was sober, but he was rarely sober. Sometimes he would punch his fist through a wall. Sometimes his fist would connect to his wife. Sometimes his fist would connect to his son, Ronald. Arnold lived down the street and, and knew all these things were going on and tried to establish some kind of relationship with, with one of these sons. Shared the gospel with him and this son was not interested at all. He was an angry 15-year-old. Maybe just a few months later, that abusive alcoholic dad was on the back porch of his house in South Waco, and it was drinking and went into cardiac arrest. He was rushed to Hillcrest Hospital, the old Hillcrest, and was pronounced dead upon arrival. Only one of the sons went to go see his dead, lifeless body in the hospital. It was Ronald. Ronald saw his dad laying before him and in great anger looked up to the heavens and said, to hell with you, God. 
to hell with you, God, because you gave me this dad who abused me, who hit me. To hell with you, God. You gave me this life. And now you've taken my dad. And in these conflicting emotions, Ronald said, to hell with you. A year later, Ronald was 16 years old. Arnold came back to him to share Christ with him once again. This time, the soft, tender heart of Ronald had been stirred in the absence of his dad. Even though Ronald had turned himself to drinking as a teenager, to boxing, to let out his aggression, he listened to the story of a God who sent his son, and Arnold shared Christ with this 16-year-old boy named Ronald. And the Spirit of God wooed Ronald to Jesus. Three years later, when he graduated from high school, he landed at Baylor also to study to be a preacher. Stayed in Waco, was a pastor of a church here for 32 years. Ronald is my dad. Does revival matter? Does the spiritual awakening matter? Yeah. Would a spark that could be lit here even this evening that could last for all of eternity, a spark of spiritual awakening this week, could it turn into a fire? Does it truly matter? Yeah. What is revival? Maybe it'd be better for me to share with you today what it's not as well as what it is. What is revival? Let me first tell you this. Revival is not emotional. It is relational. Now, there may be some tears stirred up this week. There may be some emotions that are stirred, but revival is not just an emotional experience. A revival is not a, a feeling. It's a relationship with three entities. God other believers and non-believers on this campus and in this city. Listen, you, you can't have revival without a fresh encounter with God. There will not be revival in your heart or on this campus without a dynamic, continual relationship with God through Jesus. Revival will not happen if you're not abiding in Christ. Revival will not happen if you're not loving Christ, treasuring Christ, living in Christ. Revival is not just about emotions. It's about a relationship, relationship with other believers in our city. Revival will not come to this campus if you're not keeping peace and striving for unity and desiring to see unity within the body of Christ, truly loving, unconditionally loving other believers in our city and on this campus. If it's gonna be Harris Creek versus Antioch versus Highland versus Grace Church versus First Baptist Woodway versus First Waco versus Redeemer versus any other church in town, then the spirit of the Lord is gonna be gone by Wednesday at nine o'clock. God has no place in a divided body of Christ on this campus. And listen, revival is real when believers have a relationship with non-believers on this campus. When Christ 
is shared and the character of Christ is expressed. When non-believers on this campus know that they are loved and served by the Christians at Baylor. The only sins worse than the sins that non-believers commit at Baylor are the sins that Christians commit by not sharing the gospel. Gospel bearers, Christ followers, disciples of Jesus, we need the relationship with God, with other believers, and with non-believers. Historically, every revival that's ever swept across this planet, non-believers are saved, but first, the saved begins to act like Jesus. Revival is not condemning, secondly. It's repenting. True revival doesn't make you wish you had lived your life differently. We all wish we could live our lives differently. True revival does not make you live in regret, but true revival is an opportunity to turn away from godless things. True revival on this campus will give you an opportunity to turn away from self-centeredness, from sexual sin, from gossip, from anger, from porn, from pride. Revival does not look back, it looks forward. Revival will not condemn you because of your past. It gives you freedom to repent today. Thirdly, revival isn't hype anything. It's obedient everything. Revival isn't about intense publicity or intense promotion. It's certainly not about self-promotion. Revival isn't jumping from event to event and conference to conference and church to church pursuing some type of hyped feeling. And I say this to you in love, younger sisters and younger brothers. I say this to you out of great concern because I'm concerned that many of you might think that following Jesus is a pursuit of an experience or an event. Following Jesus Hear me clearly. Following Jesus is being obedient to Jesus every day in every decision. You don't conjure up revival with loud music or great marketing pieces. You will see revival at Baylor if you simply walk in obedience to what you know already to be true of the commands of Jesus throughout his scriptures. Revival, it's not about hyped anything, but living daily in obedience to what you know to be true according to Scripture. The three marks of past revivals, prayer, purity, and young adults. Every past revival that has swept throughout this planet has those three things in common. Prayer, purity, and to keep with the P alliteration, young people, college students. Good news, you don't have to do anything to fit into that third characteristic. God has put you here, put you now as a young adult in our city and on this campus. You can trace the awakenings and revivals all throughout the centuries, all the way back to the resurrection. And it's always about prayer and purity in your generation. 
Pentecost, 30 AD, the pre-Reformation revivals of the 1300s and the 1400s, the Reformation itself in 1517, the Great Awakening in 1720, the Second Great Awakening in 1780, the General Great Awakening in 1830, the North American Prayer Revivals of 1857, the Jesus People Revivals that some of your grandparents may have been saved in in the 1960s, the World War II Revivals from 1935 to 1942 with a guy named Billy Graham who was on the forefront. Intensely, it's on the radar. The Baylor revivals of 1945. Three things in common. Prayer. Your generation of young adults would pray and they believed. It's not that prayer works. It's that God works through prayer. Earnest, committed prayer, scriptural prayer, knocking on the door of heaven and not giving up in the knocking. And the reason we don't pray today is twofold. We don't believe God. We don't truly believe what he says. Secondly, the reason we don't pray today is because our downtime, our solitude time is so busy with our phones and gaming. If you have a break in the afternoon, you check your phone, you search for porn, you see if there's a great gaming system that you can go find. If you have a break in your day, you're looking for anything else to do but pray. We don't have time to pray because we have found time for everything else. Impurity. Has there been a generation more assaulted with impurity than your generation? I don't think there has been. Impurity means more than sexual sin, but it does not mean less. Purity is purity of your words, a purity of your thoughts, purity of your speech, purity of your post. Purity is loving people purely. Impurity is, is a heart issue that has symptoms in the external things like our speech, our conduct, our, our hands, our decisions, our eyes. Purity always comes down to priorities and choices. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That is not a promise about heaven, it's a promise about today. Blessed are the pure in heart at McLean Stadium, for they will see God today. They will see God on campus this week. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity is allowing God to have his way in your body. Purity is allowing the Holy Spirit to have full ownership of your entire body. And I would beg you, Christian, Either give Jesus your entire body or give him none of it. But if you give Jesus none of your body, do not call him your Lord. Young adults, it's the third element of every revival. If it wasn't started by young adults, it was carried out by young adults. And we have young adults in spades in the stadium tonight. One-third of the needed elements of revival is here. It's before me. 
I no longer qualify. You are the generation. If there's going to be a fire again on this campus for the kingdom and the name of Jesus, it's not going to begin with the old pastors in town. It's not going to begin with your parents. It's not going to begin with the professors. It's not going to begin with the administrators on this campus. It will begin in you if it's going to begin at all. So your choice is this. Will I be a woman of prayer? Will I be a man of prayer who seeks the Lord in request? Will I pray big to a God who is big? And your second choice will be this. Will I be a man of purity, a woman of purity, saying no to messing around with boyfriend and girlfriend, to put away porn forever beginning tonight and live a life of godliness and holiness and purity? Here's the scripture we're going to together tonight. James chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. So if you have your copy of God's Word, your device with you tonight, would you go with me, please, to James chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. We're going to this passage because this is the biblical passage, in my opinion, that stands head and shoulders above when it comes to purity and prayer in one passage. If I can challenge you to do anything this evening, sisters and brothers, I would challenge you to memorize this passage this week. And let this be a passage that resonates in your heart this week and for all the days of your life. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because you're the most informed generation in history. You don't need more information tonight, you need to surrender tonight. If I can honestly and lovingly say this, the two missing elements of revival on Baylor campus is purity and prayer. Verse three, the spirit of the Lord is instructing James to write these words to us. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. A prayer is about the kingdom of God on earth, not what you can get from this earth. It's about God's fame, not your fame. It's about God's name, not your name. It's about God's agenda, not your agenda. So how do you ask rightly? You pray for God's glory on earth as it is in heaven. And you ask for things in the name of Jesus that will honor Jesus, that will honor the kingdom of Jesus. Verse four is heavy. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Spiritual adulterers. It's a graphic term right here in this passage for people who attach themselves to Christianity, but then with this tremendous consuming love for the world, give nothing to God and give themselves wholly to the world alone. Therefore, they are adulterers. They are adulteresses. This is what the Holy Spirit has in mind as he carries James along to write these words. There's really no middle point here at all. Either one is a faithful friend of God or his enemy. Either a faithful lover of God or an adulterer, an adulteress. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He that is not with me 
is against me. Verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Please hear this clearly, younger generation. God is jealous for you. He is jealous for your time. He is jealous for your passions. He is jealous for your heart. And Christian, listen, all of your heart. He's not pursuing a divided heart. He's pursuing an undivided heart. It is a jealous love that Christ has for you. It is a longing love that God has for you in Jesus. He loves you enough that he does not want you in sin, but in Christ. The God of the universe who made everything that we see and everything that we do not see, the maker of all things, he sees you. And he knows you. And he desires you. Verse six, but he, God, he, he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God has always exalted the humble woman, the humble man. What, what, what do we mean by that humility? What does being humble mean? It means being broken over your sin. It means broken over all that we have done, sorrowful and repentant over our rebellion against God. That's being humble. Whoever exalts himself, Jesus says this in Matthew 23. We see it right here in James 4. Whoever exalts himself will be taken down, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. God is gracious tonight to the humble hearts that are here. Verse 7. This is the crux. This is where revival begins and ends. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the simplicity of my call to this stadium tonight. That's the simplicity of my call to every heart here today. Submit yourselves to God. Resubmit yourselves to God every day. Surrender to God. Resurrender to God. Don't just call Jesus Savior. Call him your Lord. Because college students, you're going to submit to something. Your flesh, your fame, your agenda, your popularity, money, riches, relationships, you were designed by God to submit to something. I'm calling every one of you this evening to submit to Jesus, to submit to his grace, but also his authority, to submit tonight to the kindness of Christ and the sovereignty of Christ. I'm calling your generation to submit yourselves to Jesus, to his goodness, his mercy, his word, his spirit. There will be no revival at Baylor. 
without submission to Jesus. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Push back the devil. He'll have to flee from you because you belong to Christ. Verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to Jesus. Can I call my brothers in this place tonight to put away your childish things? Can I call my brothers in this stadium today to start acting like a man? Put away the childish things. You played with childish things when you were a child. Can I call my sisters here tonight to be a woman of God and put away your childish things and act like a woman of God? Sisters, the truest thing about you is that you belong to God. Brothers, the truest thing about you is that you belong to God. Submit yourselves to him. Draw near to God. And listen, the God of the ages will draw near to you tonight. The last thing Baylor needs is one more half-hearted Christian on this campus. The last thing Baylor needs, this city needs, your generation needs, this nation needs, this planet needs, is someone who calls themselves a Christian and yet they do not submit fully to Jesus as Lord. I was a 19 year old on this campus. I knew everything there was to know about God. And I loved God's people. And I loved God's church. I was fascinated with God's word. I loved being a part of God's mission. But my confession to you tonight is that I really did not know God. I knew the answers. Raised in a middle-class family here in this city. Went to church, my dad was my pastor, I had to go to church. I would imagine my story is reflective of many people here today. You've been around God most of your life. You've been around God's people most of your life. You've heard all kinds of things about God's word most of your life. Many of you have even served on God's mission a lot of your life. There's a 19 year old sophomore on this campus in a weekly Bible study led by a guy that a lot of you actually probably know named Louis Giglio, a guy who is still speaking to this generation. He stood up at 7th and James Baptist Church, 2,000 Baylor students were there. And he said this statement, I can close my eyes, I could plug my ears and almost hear his voice still say this. He said, there are people in this space tonight that you have been pretending to have joy for the majority of your life because you want to be known as a joyous person. But you have no joy deep in your heart because you really don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
it was like a spotlight went on my heart in the middle of 2,000 Baylor students. It was like the Spirit of God put some kind of fire in my heart. I began to sweat. I began to feel this heat in my body. I knew that God was speaking directly to me through his choice servant, Louis. I went out of 7th and James, walked really quickly back to my apartment, 300 Cottonwood, the Arbors. If they have not been refurbished, I hope you don't live there. And I got down on my knees, friends. And I wept aloud to the Lord. Because I knew I'd been around God. I knew a lot of the answers about God. I knew all the, the, the Bible trivia questions. I knew it. I had wanted joy so badly in my life as a 19-year-old student at Baylor that I realized that night in apartment 1006 that I wanted a relationship with the God of the universe. And I didn't know him. I don't know if that was the night I was saved. I might find that out one point in, in, in heaven's eternity. But I will tell you this, it was the night I submitted to Jesus as my Lord. I've been far from perfect since age 19. But I've never doubted that was the evening. The presence of Christ, the joy of Christ entered into the fullness of my life. Because I submitted myself to Christ as Lord. I don't think the call tonight is for every one of you. Jesus just needed 12 and the world turned upside down. What would it look like for your generation to submit to Christ, to draw near to him, to put away your childish things and allow the presence of Christ to burn in you like a fire? not hyped, not emotional, obedient, relational, repentance. If you're ready for that in your heart tonight, would you just join me on your knees? You may have to stand up to move to your knees. You may just want to fall down on your face before the Lord. I know it's awkward. I know it's, I love awkward moments. God loves awkward moments. Would you join me on my knees? Would you join me on your knees? Would you put your face to the earth? I'm calling us to submit tonight to Christ as Lord. The call tonight is to repent, to leave behind godless, childish things, to put away prayerlessness, to put away impurity. And to be reminded tonight, Christian, that you're robed in the righteousness of Christ. There will be no revival on Baylor's campus without prayer, without purity. 
There's no revival in your heart without prayer, without purity. God, we're gonna take you at your word tonight that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. God, long before we're looking for a fire on Baylor's campus, we're looking for a fire in our own hearts. God, there's probably other 19-year-olds out here this evening who are so close to God, so close to his mission, so close to his people, so close to his word, and yet they do not know God. Father, I pray that you had saved those that might have thought they were saved when they walked in tonight. I pray that you would save those who have no joy in their life, like I had no joy in my life. God, would you start a fire that would burn on this campus and burn in eternity with passion for the name of Christ for his kingdom and his kingdom's causes. Would you call this generation to be a generation of prayer, a generation of purity? We submit ourselves to you.